Welcome to the Decisions Podcast, a joint production effort from the Teach for America Idaho staff and the Idaho Alumni Association. My name is Adam Shazel. I'm a 2017 Idaho Corps member and the new manager of talent on Teach for America staff. We're here to bring you stories of decisions being made, personal and professional, in and out of classrooms by members of our Teach for America community and also decision makers throughout Idaho. We are always looking for feedback and we want to hear your ideas for future episodes, potential guests, or any ideas to improve this platform and make it more relevant to your experience achieving educational equity for all kids in Idaho. You can reach out to us at idahoalumniboard at gmail.com, or you can honestly just call me or text me or whatever. This is a pretty niche audience and we pretty much all know each other pretty well. So this is our inaugural episode, and I wanted to take a moment to talk through the rationale of why we thought this podcast would be a good idea. The idea for this podcast came to me last fall, when the coronavirus pandemic had already upended our routines, our habits, and our lives in countless ways. All at once, people have had to make a million decisions in the face of tremendous uncertainty. Something that frustrated me all too often was that when leaders in positions of authority had to make a decision... They often chose no decision, or some half-measure in an attempt to make all parties happy. The tremendous uncertainty that followed was, and is, paralyzing, making it so much harder to plan or establish new routines and procedures that we all rely on to bring some sense of sanity to our lives. And so this podcast is devoted to decisions. I hope that some in future episodes will be COVID-related. But more broadly, I wanted to create a platform that lets the Teach for America community connect when connecting is otherwise not possible. I hope that creating a space to let our TFA Corps members and alumni share major decisions they've faced will help maintain that sense of belonging that brought us to Idaho in the first place. And who knows? Maybe you're facing a similar decision in your life. I hope that this podcast helps you think through those decisions and reach the decision that works best for you. So let's get to it. My first guest is Levi Grand, who, like me, is a 2017 Corps member from Texas. Levi was an English teacher at Weezer High School, and he ultimately left Idaho after his two years in the Corps to take a job teaching world history at a charter school in Austin, Texas. Ultimately, Levi decided to move back to Idaho and teach elementary at Future Public School in Garden City. My question for Levi was simple. Why did you decide to move back? I thought Levi would be a great first guest because his experience really speaks to this pull that Idaho has for so many members of our community. And I should note, I apologize for the less than great audio quality. This episode is a bit of a trial. We didn't really want to sink a bunch of financial resources into this project before we just had a sense of how feasible it would be. So anyway, here's Levi. Okay, so we're here with Levi Grand. Levi, how's it going? Pretty well, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How was your semester? It was interesting. Um, yeah? Very long. Uh, glad to be on break. Yeah. Let me... So, okay, I'm interested first. Um, what was your future public school in Garden City? Correct. Uh, what was your instruction model with COVID and everything? Um, so we have really tried to adapt as mm-hmm. much as we can to the needs mm-hmm. of our families and community members. So mm-hmm. we started out, um, this summer we had an on, or we had an in-person summer camp, um, with a limited number of students and lots of safety precautions. And then mm-hmm. when we came back in September, we started out doing 100% virtual and then switched to 
a blended hybrid model. So at one point I had, I think, about 15 kids in the room. Okay. With safety precautions, obviously. And then I was also teaching online simultaneously. So I would set up, like, the camera in front of the board, and I would teach to the class and to the camera at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then um, at Thanksgiving, as numbers started rising again, we switched back to primarily online. Um, and then I have a few students with special circumstances that are in the room. So I've got about three or four kids on a given day in the room and then the rest are all online. Cool. Awesome. And like, what's the demographics of the students that you're working with at Future Public School? Um, so Future is unique in that the model for diversity there, I think, is genuinely diverse um, in the sense that there are students from every end of the socioeconomic spectrum, every uh, every different racial background that you could imagine, all sorts of different religious affiliations. Okay, so obviously you and I have a lot of similarities. We're both from Texas. Uh, we were both 2017 core members. I am curious, what was your decision-making process in deciding to come to Idaho in the first place? Um, I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do after college. Yeah. Um, I majored in literature, didn't have a teaching certificate, uh, and didn't know what I was doing with my life. So. Um, my junior year, we had a recruiter show up in one of my classes and it just kind of sounded interesting and, uh, social justice was something that was new to me that I was kind of starting to get exposed to and really through the interview process, it seemed like something that I was excited about. Um, what was really exciting for me was the opportunity to serve students that had similar backgrounds to mine. Mm -hmm. So students in rural communities that might not have access to the same educational opportunities as schools, as students in more urban areas. Yeah. Um, so I applied, got in, and then had the choice to go to a few different regions, but Idaho really seemed like the region that most mirrored my own educational experiences mm -hmm. as a student. Yeah. And so... Cool. I should say to any future podcast listeners, we have cats going crazy in the background. So this is our, our beta podcast. Yes. Uh, and, and so you were placed in Weezer High for two years. Yep. And I think during your time in the core, at least from my window, you kind of developed this reputation of like being the Weezer guy. Like, I think yeah. you were, you really excelled in, like, ingraining yourself in that community and making yourself a fixture of that community. And I was wondering if you could speak just a little bit to that experience. What was it like? Um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I, I'm still very close to quite a few people in Weezer. I was actually out in Weezer a couple of days ago. I go back to Weezer every now and then. It's a little bit harder with COVID, but yeah. I stay pretty closely in touch with a lot of my friends there. Um, I think that... That's part of why Futures model that I was talking about earlier really speaks to me, is just because in my time in Weezer, I really got exposed to this idea of shaping education around mm -hmm. the community rather than forcing your community into the shape of what you want education to look like. Um, and so it was, it was a great experience. It was good to get so close to students and families and get to really um, make my goals my students' goals rather than the opposite, so. I want to make sure I got that right. So you're making your goals your students' goals? Yeah, so rather than going in and with the intention of like, oh, 
all of my students are going to go to tier one universities yeah. and major in English and become Shakespeare scholars, right? <laughs> that, you know, my goal needs to be, and became while I was there, what do these students want to achieve and how do I help them achieve that? And that became my goal. Um, I think that sort of was a, the result of living in that community and getting to talk to students and families and really see, um, like what it is that they were trying to achieve through education and, and what sorts of, um, systemic, systemic issues of access and, and that sort of thing were standing in the way of that. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways you and I had a really different core experience. I mean, obviously we're both in Idaho. We both went through the same PD and stuff, but yeah. like, um, you know, Napa where I worked is way different in so many ways. Yeah. Weezer, Weezer's odd in that it's, it's only like 75 miles or so from Boise. Yeah. But I mean, it's a different world. It's, it's very, very, even if it's not terribly geographically isolated, I think just culturally, economically, um, in so many ways, it's, it's very isolated from the rest of the Treasure Valley. Yeah, I mean, you're right on the Oregon border. It's like 5,000, 6,000 people, something 5, like that. 5,500, yeah. Yeah. Um, and pretty, a, a very overwhelmingly white population, right? Um, no, actually, Weezer oh. um, does have a large white population, but I would I want to say at least 30 or 40% of the population there is Latino. So, okay, cool. Or Latinx. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, that was kind of another thing coming into Idaho that was rather unexpected mm -hmm. and that I think also mirrored my growing up in Texas was yeah. that there was this very large Latino population um, to go along with that white population that you expected to right. see. So. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, and yet, like, so we had different core experiences in a lot of different ways. Like, Nampa's, I, I don't know if sub suburban's probably the right word for it. Um, but yet, like, this experience that you were speaking to, I felt exactly the same way, and I think this is true across all people who do TFA, is that you come in with this idea that, like, I'm gonna be the stand-and-deliver teacher, all my kids are gonna go to Harvard and be economists, at least that was, you know, my version of it, mm -hmm. right? And you realize, like, very, very quickly that you know, you and your students don't necessarily have the same goals if that's your goal. Yeah. And so you really do have to pivot very quickly if you want to make any kind of impact. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it's important to realize that for some students that is the goal, right? Yeah, totally. In my, in my first year at Weezer at the end of the year, we had a student that did get accepted and go to Harvard. I mean, like... Oh that, my God, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, so that that is the goal for a lot of students. Yeah. And it's just in order to be a social... a Educate, an educator who is oriented towards social justice, yeah. I think that you really have to bear in mind that the definition of justice and the, the definition of success is going to vary from student to student and community to community and just be responsive to that. Mm -hmm. Cool. So kind of transitioning, you made probably what was a very tough and heart-wrenching decision to kind of radically changed the environment that you were serving in. So yeah. you moved from Weezer, Idaho, this town of 5,500 people, right on the Idaho-Oregon border, and decided to take a job teaching U.S. history, no, world history, right? 
world history at uh, a KIPP charter school in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you could let us into kind of that decision-making process and, and why did you ultimately make such a radical choice? Yeah, I often look back on that decision and wonder like, what the hell was I thinking? But, um, what the hell were you thinking? I yeah, I, I, yeah, I really do. I look back on it and ask, what was I thinking? Um, I, I stumbled across the job because, um, I'd gotten an email from the TFA beta service about yeah. a job opening in Connecticut. Though I also saw this listing for a history teacher at Kip Austin Brave, which was, um, it was a charter school in its third year. And um, they were looking for either an English or a history teacher. And so I thought, well, I've never been to Austin. Maybe, you know, worst case scenario, I apply and can get a free trip to Austin out yeah. of this, which I did. So I applied and um, I had also just, I had heard really cool things about KIPP. Mm -hmm. um, one of my mentors in Idaho Levi Mogg was actually a KIPP teacher and spoke mm -hmm. very highly of their program. And so they also just had a, a reputation for um, having really successful students and really successful outcomes mm -hmm. in low-income demographics. Um, it's also just kind of like, I think in a lot of ways, a sister organization to Teach for America. Yeah, um, totally. Like the founders of those two organizations are literally married. So Yeah, um, definitely revolving door. <laughs> yeah, so I, I applied and just thought, you know, Maybe mm -hmm. I could go go to Austin. Maybe I could get a chance to visit a KIPP school. That right. was a big thing, too. I wanted to go see what they did. Yeah. Um, and so I went, and uh, I got a response back very quickly, inviting me for an interview, and they flew me out. And I got there, and I was absolutely terrified mm -hmm. because, like I had said, I, I had never been to Austin. I actually I flew into Dallas because I was going to a wedding anyway. And oh, wow. It was, it was a mess. So I yeah. flew into Dallas, got a car, and drove down to Austin, and I got there. Well, that's not a fun drive. And I was just like, what did I get myself into? Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how... Like, Austin, you don't think of as being a... I didn't think of as being a big city, but it, it right. very much is. It's oh, grown so much, and it's totally. just... I remember I was driving around um, trying to get to my hotel, and... I pulled up to an underpass and just saw this homeless camp, Yeah. which we don't really have those in Idaho, yeah. um, at least mm -hmm. not as visibly. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh my God, where am I? Like, right. what, what is this? There's so much wealth disparity that's so visible. Like, mm -hmm. it, it was just kind of sickening. Um, and I, it took me forever to find my hotel. Anyway, it was a mess. And so I'm freaking <laughs> out. I called my mom and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do if they offer me a job here. Yeah. Um, and so I went to my interview and I had to teach a lesson and my, my lesson was a train wreck and I couldn't get the students to listen. And it was a mess. Um, but I, so I came back thinking, okay, well, I'm glad I got that out of my system and I'll teach at Weezer yeah. next year. Uh, but yeah, so then the principal, mm -hmm. um, Sarah Caranco called me the following Monday or Tuesday and offered me the job. Um, and I was kind of like, what? Are, are you sure? I was like, <laughs> one, yeah, are you sure? And two, am I sure? Like, what was I, what am I doing here? Like, because I loved Weezer. I loved everything yeah. about it. I, I pictured myself teaching there for the next, like, 30 years and then dying in my classroom and being carted out the back door was yeah. like, that was the plan. Yeah. Because um, I, I loved my job. Hopefully um, that was a very long-term plan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. But... Anyway, so I, I really thought about it, though, and I realized that in order to 
become the best educator that I could in order to um, really see changes in our educational system and be the catalyst for that change, mm-hmm. that I was going to have to gain more di- a more diverse array of experiences. Because as, as awesome as Weezer is, yeah. it is not a place that changes very much. It's not mm-hmm. a very... like Weezer High School today is probably very, very similar to what it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Right? Like, the administrators stick around. The, the superintendents stick around. Mm-hmm. Like, those... The teachers stick around. I, the, in my department, there were four teachers. All of, all of them, except for me, were over 40. Wow. Um, and two of them had been in their same classrooms for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's great for stability, mm-hmm. but it does limit the opportunity to learn and grow as a new teacher and which I, I did I learned and grew I learned and grew a lot yeah in my first two years but I had come to a place where it was like okay I'm I'm feeling comfortable in teaching I'm yeah I think that's it I was feeling comfortable yeah um, and I think that when you start feeling comfortable that's when you stop growing. you start to get complacent yeah and you start to get <laughs> complacent and so I thought well I guess let's do this you know mm-hmm. um, because there was very obviously I went and visited a classroom while I was at KIPP, and yeah. I, Sophie Sagel, who was later my assistant principal, she mm-hmm. she became an assistant principal over the summer. Wow. Um, I, I watched her teach and was just like, holy cow, mm-hmm. like, I want to learn from this woman. I want to learn from these, these amazing teachers. And yeah. so I ended up accepting the job, um, moved to Austin, and yeah, I started teaching world history uh, at KIPP, teaching ninth grade. Cool. So... Okay, so piggybacking off of that, I think that they're probably less so today, but historically there has been sort of this, as you're saying, like this this very intimate relationship between the Teach for America world and the KIPP world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're always like piggybacking and learning from each other. Mm-hmm. And I imagine coming from, as you said, you know, a, a very static um, rural community that you know it it hasn't changed in some time going into this very like data-driven hyper-focused charter environment what was that transition like for you and and what did you learn from it um it was insane Mm -hmm. uh i well i Mm -hmm. mean i called i think i was on the phone calling tracy sedano um, yeah who was my MTLD when I was at, in TFA, Idaho. Bless her heart. I know. I'm pretty sure I ended up calling her once or twice a week, just wow. sobbing and freaking out and oh, not man. knowing what to do because it was just, it was, mm-hmm. it was like year one of teaching, but without, without this tight knit community of core members and teachers, like when I was in Weezer, I would have drowned my first two years if it hadn't been for all these amazing educators that had decades of experience that yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. buoyed me up. You're talking about teachers of Weezer. Yeah, yeah, when I was in Weezer, mm-hmm. right? Like that was, that was my support. And that's part of why Weezer was so amazing. Yeah. I had all of these amazing people around me that like were bound and determined that I was going to succeed with them. Right. And then I got to Austin and it was like all of that chaos, but z- none of the community. Mm. Um, like my family didn't live anywhere within three hours of me. I didn't know anyone. Yeah. I knew no one in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I was teaching a new subject in a new school with a new culture. And it was, it was just, it was absolute chaos. It was madness. Yeah. Um, all of that stability that I was talking about that Weezer had, right? Same principal, same superintendent, same teachers for decades. Mm-hmm. That did not exist at this new school. 
um, for a variety of reasons, in part because it was very, they were always trying to innovate. Mm. Um, the principal there was brand new, um, excellent at everything that she did. She was wonderful. Yeah. The entire administrative staff, I think one of the, one of the vice principals had been there the year before out of six. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the other thing. There were six vice principals. Wow. I mean, I went from a school with 400 kids to a school with 800. Yeah. Um, just kind of overnight. Yeah, it was just, it was a completely different world. And mm -hmm. like in terms of teachers being there, in, yeah. in Weezer, teachers left maybe one, two, three per year wow. in the building. Mm -hmm. um, at KIPP, by the time, by Christmas, um, by Christmas, five teachers had left the building oh during the school year. It was, it was so in and out that I started off the year teaching history and ended out the year teaching composition oh my because they had to move me to teaching English because an English teacher left and they couldn't replace her quick enough. Wow. Um, Do you think that's specific to your KIPP school or is that endemic throughout the, you know, the charter world? I can't really speak to other charter schools and I, I don't want to badmouth KIPP yeah. too heavily, but I think that it is a criticism that is fair and valid mm -hmm. um, is that their model... I think in a lot of ways the, the idea behind KIPP is if we can keep kids in school enough, particularly at-risk kids, we can exhaust them so that they Dang. go home and they don't get in trouble. Wow. Right? Um, okay. And that model transfers over to adults. So yeah. I would get to school at 6 or 6.30 every morning, mm -hmm. and we would teach from 8.30 until 5.00. And I would usually leave about 5.30 or 6. And so you, you're working 12-hour days plus you're grading on the weekends. Right. Like the, the workload at KIPP was just so stinking high mm -hmm. that it was not sustainable for teachers. And so teachers would quit in the middle of the year. So I find that so interesting because, and I'm saying this as someone who only has experience in like the public, you know, traditional high school setting. My understanding of like not necessarily kept but you know all of these high performing charters is that the 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 job is so highly um like systematized mm -hmm. where your lessons are provided for you your assessments are given and so your job is really to like hyper focus in on the actual act of instruction yeah. and developing student relationships and analyzing data. It's like three things. Yeah. Um, that's partially true. Mm -hmm. it, it also depends upon what you're teaching, right? Okay. So, so at KIPP, um, Composition 2, which is what I was teaching, is a priority course because it's tested by state standardized tests in right. Texas. So the priority courses like Composition 2 have completely, essentially written curriculum that you follow. Non-priority courses, so World History 2, World mm. History, sorry, World History 1, which mm -hmm. is what I started at, did not have completely written lessons. Like, they would give you objectives yeah. um, every day, and you would target towards that. Gotcha. But regardless, um, and I will also say my life dramatically improved when I started teaching English again, which is partly because I'm a better English teacher than I'm a history teacher, but whatever. History is really hard. Yeah, I, I've been doing U.S. history this yeah, year, and history, I had no idea how hard it was. To, to any incoming core members, do not take to heart the reality that coaches are always history teachers. <laughs> um, if it's done well, history is like the hardest <laughs> subject to teach. Um, it, it's incredibly difficult. But oh, that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but even even if you're getting, like, my English class, 
lessons were provided. And so I was internalizing rather than writing. But I was also trying to grade and trying to figure out how to deliver those lessons in an effective way. And you have to modify things to meet your students where they are. And right. When you're teaching from 8.30 until the bell rings at 4.55, mm -hmm. you just, I mean, you have to do all of that grading and planning at some point. Right. Um, and so it does help, but, and there's also the reality that, I mean, to a certain extent, when you're in the charter world, like, your career, your job security is based upon student achievement. Oh, wow. Um, and so, which I never felt like my job was threatened at all, and everyone was, there. there's also a lot of support that goes along with that. Yeah. But there is this bottom line sort of reality that if your students are not achieving, like, you cannot stay. Like, right. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. It's just a reality. And for whatever reason, the just the... The model at KIPP leads to teacher burnout, and I think that that is something that would be backed by data mm -hmm. um, if you looked at KIPP's turnover rates. And I think that that's also true across across multiple schools, not just mine. Eventually you decide that this is not the right fit for you. Was it really your experience in the profession, or was it something about the broader community, or was it Austin that just made you realize this was not the right role for you? Um, it's a lot of things. Uh, yeah. I One, I think that I came into education wanting to serve more rural, more rural students, and Austin is a very much an urban area. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I, and I told my principal this when I interviewed for the job, I went to Austin because I felt that I had more to learn, yeah. and I wanted to learn something specifically from KIPP. Um, and I felt like at the end of that year, I had learned all I wanted to learn um, <laughs> and that it was time to go back and I kind of started looking around at different positions and um, I told I had told my assistant principal probably in January that I was looking and was was thinking that I would probably transition yeah which I think you know if I could go back and do things over again mm -hmm. um, and if certain things were different if if COVID hadn't been a thing yeah um, that I might have thought about things differently uh, right. because my second semester man I really fell in love with the job the school the kids wow everything um just it being back in in my subject area teaching English rather than history mm -hmm. I got so, I got really close to those students in just a quarter but then COVID happened and dang like all of that kind of went away and so all of the things that were drawing me back towards staying in Austin disappeared and Okay, so kind of pedaling backward, I'm interested, like, what were the differences you saw between the students you were serving in Weezer versus the students you were serving in Austin? How is that community similar or different? Um, the students themselves, I don't think are, I mean, kids are kids. No kids matter are kids. Where they go. Kids are kids, yeah. yeah. Um, also, the, the kind of systematic inequities that negatively impacted my Weezer kids were the same ones that were impacting my Austin kids. Well, um, perhaps to a certain extent race played a bigger role in Austin because it was yeah, a 95% Latinx school. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think that poverty really cares where you live. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty terrible whether yeah. you live in Austin or Weezer. Um, I think that what was drastically different was just kind of the community and culture. So KIPP is decidedly not a community-oriented school. Um, Interesting. What do you mean by that? 
well, I had kids coming to Kip. At my school was in Southeast Austin, mm-hmm. and they were coming from Cedar Park, which is oh, I see, okay, north of Austin, like an hour's drive away from school. We had wow. kids from Bastrop, which is mm-hmm. like thirty miles, um, yeah, thirty miles east of Austin, mm-hmm. and so you have kids coming from everywhere, right? Um, getting bussed in, yeah. Whereas in Kit, in in the take two, in, <laughs> in Weezer, mm-hmm. everyone lives you know ten minutes from school or less, right? And so the school really is the center and the heartbeat of the community in Weezer. Whereas in Austin, it's more transactional. It's very transactional, right? Mm-hmm. School is a thing that you do, a place that you go in order to achieve and gain a thing, yeah. Rather than it being just an integral part of the community, and that that also was part of what left me really disillusioned. And I think that is a big flaw in the charter school model that mm-hmm. I was mentioning earlier that future does very well is that it it centers itself in the community rather than um, trying to shape the community to it so I again does that make sense is that clear I I'm not sure and I want to I want to ask you to explore it a little bit more a little bit more I guess mm-hmm. um, this idea of a school being kind of a means to an end yeah versus an end in and of itself yeah i think is like i think you you summarized it in a really good way um because i don't think that there's really like coherent agreement anywhere about like what is the job of a school you know what i mean yeah like well i mean you're because because local schools like if you look at the data like local schools are overwhelmingly popular with like the populations that they're serving regardless of achievement yeah i mean and you're hitting on a question that just as educators we're dealing with and i think as a part of the teach for america community yeah we really really need to be thinking about because there's not a consensus on what the purpose of schools is yeah um i'm right now i'm doing my master's in educational leadership and we spent multiple weeks state right yeah go broncos yeah right go broncos we spent multiple weeks talking about this and debating it, right? Is Mm -hmm. the purpose of education to prepare students for college? Is it to get them a job? Is it to teach them civic responsibility? Is it to provide childcare for for working class families? Is it like, what is the purpose of school? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think depending on the students that you ask and the families that you ask, the answers are gonna be different. But I don't know that necessarily this is a question about just the purpose of schools as much as it is the role that schools play in the community more largely. Mm-hmm. I think that if you look at charter schools, future being the exception, not the rule. Right. Um, if you look at charter schools, generally speaking, the role that they are going to play is to provide a better educational opportunity so that students can achieve greater economic opportunity in the long run. Okay. If you look at local schools, mm-hmm. right, especially in rural Idaho, Yeah. I mean, historically, the centers of any rural community, be it be it rural Idaho or rural West Texas, yeah. the centers of the community are going to be the school and the churches. Mm-hmm. Those are the places where you go for community gatherings. Those are the places that you go for social and economic support. Yeah. Those are just, I mean, those are the two pillars of the community. Um, and charter schools do not play that role most of the time in the same mm-hmm. way that public schools and, and community schools do, neighborhood schools do. Yeah. Um, they just don't because so often those kids come from different neighborhoods and different areas. Um, and it's just, yeah, the goals, the goals are different on at the, I guarantee you, if you ask a charter school principal, Mm. if you ask them what their goal is 99% of the time, 
their answer is going to involve academic success. Yeah. If you ask a, um, if you ask a leader of a public school or a community school, mm -hmm. the answer might have something to do with academic success. It's also going to have something to do with citizenship and community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. So you made the decision to come to Boise. We kind of got sidetracked for a little bit, which yeah. I think is fine. Um, when you were looking at other opportunities in your second semester, was it just Idaho? You were like, I, like, this is where I belong, this is where I want to go. What was that process like? Um, yeah, I did some soul searching, man. Um, oh, man. It was, it was, yeah, it was a long decision making process. I considered completely leaving the classroom, I considered going into a different branch of education, I considered completely leaving education. I applied right. for, like, copywriting jobs. I, wow. Um, I applied for several jobs with Teach for America, um, mm -hmm. in different parts of the country. Ultimately though, kind of my two, two routes that I was really looking at was mm -hmm. either teaching, um, back closer to my hometown or coming back to Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I applied for a job at Future. I applied at... Idaho Arts Charter School, I applied at Homedale High School, yeah. I applied, I mean, lots of, I mean, I probably applied at a dozen or 15 or so schools in Idaho. Wow. And then I was also considering, um, I was signed up getting notifications, I still get notifications from these schools um, from Region 14, <laughs> which is the educational district in um, Texas where I grew up. So, but anyway, I ultimately decided that as much as I wanted to teach students like myself, mm -hmm. I didn't have the capacity, just the emotional capacity, to go back to my hometown. I had recently come out. I, um, mm. yeah, it was just, I wasn't equipped to deal with the social pressures of living in my hometown as a gay public education teacher. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't, wasn't in the cards. And mm -hmm. so, um, I initially accepted a job at Idaho Arts Charter School, and mm -hmm. then through... In Nampa, right? In in Nampa, and then through a, a series of circumstances, I ended up choosing to go to Future instead. So. Wow. Yeah. So, kind of pedaling back, um, while on a parallel track of this kind of professional journey that you were on, you did have this identity journey, mm -hmm. I guess. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Sure. Okay. Um, what was that like being an LGBT educator in, particularly when you were in the core in Weezer, in a very rural, very conservative environment? What, what was that like? I would say that like every, every reservation that I had about being a gay educator in Idaho um, was grounded in stories that I had been told growing up and mm -hmm. ways that I had interacted with the broader community growing up in Texas rather than a true reflection of Idaho as a state and as just a community of educators and just humans, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think looking back on the ways in which people treated me and treated each other in Weezer, and to be fair, that's you know, mm -hmm. based upon my, um, 
interacting with the world as a as a closeted gay person, right? right. So it's it's going to be through some a different lens, but um, yeah, I don't I don't think that that fear and nervousness necessarily came from reality, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I found Weezer to be a very accepting and welcoming place, and it probably mm -hmm. would have been fine. Yeah. So you decide to pull the trigger and, and come to Idaho. Yeah, come right. to Idaho. How's it working out? How's it's it going? Great. Yeah? It's great. Um, everything is new and different. Uh, I've, I've never taught elementary school before, mm -hmm. so um, I transitioned to teaching fifth grade, um, but it's just been an amazing journey. Um, mm-hmm. When I, uh, when I finally applied at Future and, and got the position, I didn't really know what I was getting into, what it was going to be like, and then I got here this summer and was teaching summer camp, summer school, and it was just like, what had I been missing for yeah. the past three years, you know? I, I, I went from teaching content that students found frustrating and difficult and like to these kids that didn't want to be there and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 which is probably partly says more about me than it does my students, but whatever. Yeah. Um, to like, my job was to go to school and encourage kids to read and read to them and yeah. talk them through like, you know, math concepts and identity and just all of these things that they were dealing with and going from like, you have, high school students that are kind of bored and jaded about being there to elementary kids who are just still really filled with wonder and yeah. excitement. Um, it, it was just amazing. I, I texted my principal and I was like, my job is now reading picture books and playing soccer with kids. <laughs> like, how could you ever want to do anything else? Um, and so like right now I'm thinking about as we're expanding as a school, do I want to teach sixth grade next year? And it's mm -hmm. like, huh, closer to secondary, closer to my background, closer to being in my comfort zone, but man, mm -hmm. like, kids are just fun. Like, they're just yeah. goofy. They still laugh at your dad jokes, which freshmen do too, but really... Juniors um, definitely don't. No, they don't. No, they definitely sad. don't. Um, anyway, it just, it's been, I think joyful is the best, um, best way I could describe the transition. Like, I just, I get up every day, and I'm generally, usually... Sometimes it's deep down inside, but I'm yeah. generally excited to go to work. Um, I was I was telling my fiance the other day, it's very strange to be in a place where you get up every day and you're just so excited to go to work, and then at the end of the day, you're just, you know, excited to be going home too. So <laughs> everything everything's good. You're always excited. Yeah, it's always always excited. That's I great. May not look it because I do have a grumpy face, but kind of do have a grumpy face. Yeah, I just fine. realized that. Yep. That's okay. Yep. All right. You're my first podcast guest, so I don't know if this is going to be a thing, but I think I'm going to end each episode with the same question, which is, what about Idaho is special to you? Yeah, I don't know. Do you intend on talking to anyone that's not lived in Idaho? No. Okay. Well, I <laughs> um, Idaho... God, there's a lot that's special about yeah. Idaho. I think that... I would say that Idaho, in a lot of ways, professionally, personally, etc., is just a place that invites you in and welcomes you to do with it what you will. Um, like, my time in Weezer and my time at Future, I think, have both been just defined by being invited in, asked to be myself, and interact with the community in a very genuine way, and being given the opportunity to innovate and 
um, change and grow with my students to whatever extent I choose. Um, yeah. As much as much energy and passion as you can bring into your experience in Idaho and into your job in Idaho, um, like the payout is going to be directly proportionate to that, and there there are no limits really. Well, thank you so much for your time, Levi. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for now. Thank you to Levi Grand for taking the time to speak with us today. I should note that this is a project of the Teach for America Idaho Alumni Association. The views expressed in this episode are those of its participants and them alone. They do not necessarily reflect the views of Teach for America, either nationally or here in Idaho. If you have any questions or feedback, reach out to us via email at idahoalumniboard at gmail.com. Our theme song is Perpetual Mobile by the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Take care.